Hello everyone, welcome to episode 4 of the Melbourne AWS User Group podcast. Once again, we'll be talking about all the new things that have been released in the last month. And also, once again, I am joined by my good friends, Jean-Manuel and Guy. Hello. Hello, everyone. Uh, very happy to be here again, Alvin. Thank you. I'm very happy to have the two of you here again. <laughs> so, without much else to say, shall we just get into it? Sure. Finally, in Sydney is always our starting point, and for a bit there I was afraid this was going to be a very short segment. But luckily we got a couple of announcements at the last moment. First one was just this morning that Amazon CodeGuru, which we've discussed in the past, has both gone GA and is now available in Sydney. Yeah, so that's exciting if you're a Java developer, but if you're not a Java developer, it's probably not very exciting. But there's still a lot of Java developers out there. There are. That's true. Yep. So we shouldn't rain on their parade. And it looks pretty cool, I've got to say. I mean, it looks like a. It looks like it'd be quite a, a nice tool to have in your, in your um kit. It you know it looks for like expensive. What what line of code is the most expensive that you've got running in your in your environment? And um, so I'm you know I think it's probably a, a nice tool. Do, do either of you Java developers know how how good it might be? Have either of you used it or know anyone who has? I haven't used it yet. And so far as it wasn't available here, um, everybody has, as far as I know, mostly stayed away from it. So I do have some clients who might be interested in trying it out though. Yeah. Yeah, the good part is is, is supporting uh, repositories. So GitHub, GitHub Enterprise, Bitbucket Cloud, and AWS Code Commit. So not only a few, but most of the main use repository out there. That's good. Yep. And and our friends across the pond will be happy that they've got a, a the ability to have an outpost now. For New Zealand, yeah. So, um, you you still need to buy yourself, right? It's still it's still a very expensive product. Uh, capex like so it's like 250k 300k to purchase and then you can install that in your data center so that, that would be great for low latency for banks and, and all this type of environment in new zealand uh, but they're still going to rely on the senior region obviously to uh, set, set that up and uh, that appears as a kind of a false az inside your your console and you can start provisioning stuff from there that's pretty cool i actually went and looked at the pricing um because I was curious what how much you'd actually have to pay for one of these. So it looks like the smallest unit you can get is a equivalent to a 4 M5 X, a 12 extra large with 2.7 terabytes of storage and that's going to cost you 8k a month USD. So in New Zealand dollars that's even worse than Australian dollars I guess. And then you can go right up to a 10 R5D 24 extra large with 11 terabytes and that's going to cost you a cool usd 48k a month yeah that's a lot of money yeah but that, that can make sense for people yeah. yeah yeah it's also good to see that outposts isn't limited to just the countries that already have regions yeah that's right have you seen any customers here in australia using it i haven't have any even demand in my customer pool did you guys see any demand for outposts I think it's the kind of product that everyone likes the idea of, but there's not that many people that you're going to encounter that have got the sort of cash to drop on something like yeah. that, have you? 
Yeah. Yeah. Look, it's, I, th- I think if you're in New Zealand and you're in the AWS space and you had a significant enough investment in that environment already that you you wanted to just have some low latency ad- additional sort of AWS locally, I think you know you'd be glad of that announcement. I did wonder whether, in part, it was a reaction to Microsoft claiming that they're going to set up an Azure region in New Zealand. I mean, we know we know, of course, that. Um, Azure regions aren't the same as AWS regions, right? So when they say they're going to create a region, it's probably one data center with one rack. Um, but, so you know, this they'll is call it a region. The same as the outpost then? <laughs> yeah, basically, it'll be an outpost. Yeah, it'll be what AWS would have called an outpost. Yeah. yeah. Shall we have a look at the serverless news? There's, some, there's a pretty big one in there. Oh, yes. Well, yes. It's very very, very controversial and it was... Um, a topic for much conversation, wasn't it? The um, addition of the ability to um, mount EFS in Lambda. Yeah. What, what controversial about? I think it's pretty cool, but uh, what controversial part do you think it is? Well, I just know. I just know that you know people are lazy, and um, while you couldn't do things like that in Lambda, it encouraged a certain kind of um, uh, more microservicey oriented behavior. I think that people would have sort of stuck to yeah i think i think as soon as you can mount an efs volume you're gonna be you're gonna get a whole bunch of people going oh cool shared state so i can store this stuff over here and just you know refer to it from all of my microservices can all refer to the same thing um so this whole idea that things are going to be broken up and and you know kept isolated from one another I think you're inviting them. You're inviting developers to be very lazy and and slip back into old habits. That's my concern. I see, I see what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a bit um, of a negative viewpoint on it. To be honest, totally is. For a lot of cases, I think just the performance impact that it will have will be enough for developers to steer away from it. Because obviously, this means you need to uh, spin up your Lambda in a VPC, which Luckily, isn't as much of an issue with startup time as it used to be, mm-hmm. but it still is a bit slower than just having your Lambda run. And of course, we know that EFS, especially massively distributed, can have some performance um, quirks. Yes. And, and in the doc, they say a few hundred milliseconds to attach an EFS endpoint to a Lambda. So you're losing kind of a, a bit of a time there in, in a cold start, right, uh, before attaching it. But, you know, it's encrypted. Um, you can run in VPCs and um, it's TLS as well. So even the, the collection uh, of NFS is, is encrypted. So it's, I think it's got a use case and maybe it's, you know, the future of compute. No more EKS, no more containers. Run everything in Lambda <laughs> with EFS. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can, I, can, I can see the use cases for it. And I know there are some um, use cases that people have identified. Um, I, just, I, just, I just think that it's, it's going to be one of those things that people need to, need to use responsibly. And I, I, I suspect that you'll see a lot of bad patterns emerge where people haven't used it responsibly. That's all. It's it's with 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 great power, power comes great responsibility. Yeah, uh, and to notice as well that you can have a lambda function in one account and EFS into another account as long as you have VPC peering between the two VPCs. So that that's pretty cool because you know you can isolate your data from your compute and having multiple lambda accounts accessing the same storage. So I like that. Yep. 
What else did we do we like from this? What about the API gateway sub protocols? That was a bit cryptic for me. This one, it's like you can connect sub protocol with WebSocket API. What, have you had experience with that? Because usually you you connect the WebSocket and you suck out of it, right? What's what's the specificity of it? Yeah, so this was something that I, I I wasn't I wasn't even aware existed. So that shows you how out of the loop I am. But but so with this, so what happens is the client can say during the connection, I want to talk to you on this sub protocol, and a sub protocol is just something that's agreed between the the, the server and the client, um, and. Essentially, the client says, you know, please talk to me using your special chat protocol. Um, and if the server has one of those and it's prepared to talk on that protocol, then it, it will agree and the, it can do, make the connection. So essentially, it's a way of um, kind of providing another layer of, um, well, I hesitate to use the word security because it's not really security, but it's another layer of com- complexity, perhaps, as to how WebSockets work. All right, okay. Essentially. Okay. So the other things on this list a couple of nice improvements to amplify yep so being able to deploy and host web apps from mono repos which basically means i assume i haven't tried it out but that you can have multiple websites running from the same repository yeah so basically it lets you point your to point to a folder inside inside your repo and say that's you know that's that deployment and that other folder is a different deployment. So, yeah, you can. Yeah. That's essentially how it, how it's implemented, from what I can see. Is it to be able to share modules or other thing, kind of centralized type of artifacts? Yeah, I think that's. I think it's just just for to, to, to deal with the case where you've got a, a single repo and you you may have shared code that 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 the developers have decided it makes sense to ha- it makes sense to have a single repo because there's shared code. Yeah. But there may be say multiple front ends or maybe a back end and a front end um, in the in the one repo. So it's to deal with that that scenario to give you the flexibility to be able to deploy both parts through separate amplify things. Yeah. And and the other nice amplify announcement was the subdomains for branches, which is kind of cute. So you can make a you make a branch and it'll automatically add a um, add a subdomain um, to your Amplify uh, endpoint to to allow you to view the consequences of your branch or the the, the um, commit that you've made to your branch, and then when you um, fold the branch or delete the branch, then that all goes away too. So that's kind of neat for as a feature development sort of um, practice. Yeah, it definitely makes testing things a lot easier because it it already had support uh, for the custom subdomains but now having it automatically get created and deleted is a lot easier than every time needing to update your configuration yeah for sure and then the lambda support for swift that was announced at the apple conference um that's interesting um so swift was developed in 2014 by apple and then uh, the latest version is 5.2 that was released in march this year and he has a small memory footprint and a quick start time. So that seems to be the perfect uh, com- combined for Lambda, right? Hmm. Yeah, and it's definitely nice for developers who build iOS applications. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. If they already use Swift, then they can stay in the same language, share some libraries, all the same things we just mentioned for monorepos. Hmm. Yeah. Then there's the container side. Containers. 
anything that either of you want to talk about or is it just crickets? Uh, EKS, <laughs> EKS can support uh, INF1 instances. Um, it's really instances uh, focused on uh, you know AI and ML. You can run TensorFlow on it, PyTorch, MXNet. Uh, you need EKS 1.14 for that. Uh, you can run it on the old version. And uh, apparently, I haven't tested it, but uh, you can get a 40% input in throughput to compare uh, EC2 G4 running uh, INF1. But you know that that comes with a certain price tag, a 96 CPU is $7 a minute, an hour, sorry, uh, and um, a 6 uh, extra large is, is 24 CPU is, is like a $2 an hour. So, um, yeah, probably very cool for people to do um, learning models and stuff like that on EKS with inf instance as node. Yeah, the inf instances were announced at reInvent last year. I believe this is still not available here in Sydney. So, in that regard, we can't use it. Yeah. But yeah, it's uh, Amazon's custom-built inference chip. Yeah. Mm. And something to add is you can you can have only self-managed node groups for uh, EKS. You can't use the uh, the managed nodes. So you need to upgrade them yourself when uh, EKS change version. Always nice to see those uh, special AWS things get 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 expanded out into into additional services. Like you know, I think the um, the investment they've made in in these sorts of technologies is really um, you know it's one of the key differentiators they have. I guess one of the the points of difference they have as a provider. And um, yeah, it's always good to see those things make it out into other services where they can be useful to more and more people. Yeah. Yeah, personally, I always just like seeing all the fancy new chips and mm. just a little bit more than the more generic um, instance types that we are used to. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, it's cool. AppMesh is available for Kubernetes now, is GA, um, that allow you to, um, you know, it's a service inside your Kubernetes cluster to uh, define routing and configure encryption, but just TLS encryption, not MTLS for the open banking people. And uh, it allow you know, to register your, your pods automatically with the cloud map service discovery as well, which is quite, quite handy instead of uh, having to do that inside Kubernetes. Um, so some, some good, good improvement there, but not for everyone again, that it doesn't support MTLS. Uh, what else do we have this month? Just some minor things. Yeah, the delete capacity provider for ECS. Do, do you know what exactly that is? Like, uh, you had to delete the task, right, to delete the provider. Now you can just delete the provider. Is that, that the point? I think that I think that's all it is. Yeah, I I, I did have a look at that because I was curious. And yeah, it seems to just be like an API thing. You can delete you can delete it directly instead of whatever you had to do before. I think you had to delete the old task and then recreate it. That's why. Yeah. Right. And let's move on to the EC2 and VPC. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of routing and networking related items here, JM. Is it? Oh, yeah. Direct Connect. Um, yeah, Direct Connect enabled failover testing. That, that's that's good. When we uh, installed Direct Connect for a customer, we had to test it from on-prem. So you had to shut down the port on the router and stuff like that. Now you can do it from the AWS side and you have a console for that. Um, so that that's good. You can you know terminate the BGP and then see if your failover works properly. And they give you a... The toolkit for that, then you can end up recording your testing for 365 days, so you can keep record of your testing. Not something to do every day in production, but yeah, it's um, it's, it's a good improvement from Die Connect. 
a lot of processes for you, Arjun. You said you, you love C5A and, and uh, G6. Yeah, I, I'm actually quite happy with the interesting chipsets that were announced. So last month we had the M6Gs, the first ones with the Graviton 2 ARM processors. And this month we have both the C6G and the R6G, mm. which is really nice. Obviously one computes optimized and the R is uh, memory optimized, but yeah, it's good to see those announced. And then at the same time, as you said, the C5A, which is an AMD or second generation AMD Epic processors, which is still, it seems weird to me to have both a fifth generation and sixth generation being announced at the same time. Yes. Mm. Even though they are so clearly different. But the, the, the 5A um, is like 10% cheaper for the same performance. So that, that's, that's pretty good. And you can go up to 96 CPU and 129, uh, sorry, 192 gig of memory. So that's pretty decent instance and running on 10% cheaper. So that's nice. And the six, I had some data on the six. You can provide 40% better price performance over 86 M5. And you have eight size, uh, one CPU, two, four, eight, 16, 32, and 48, and up to 64 vCPU. But unfortunately, is in Tokyo. That's the closest region, but not in Sydney yet. Yeah, and just like the M6G also wasn't available. I think none of the processors we mentioned here are available yet in Sydney. I guess it's a bit harder to ship them over here at the moment. <laughs> And then uh, for, for the 6, you can run all sorts of workloads as well. I mean, not only Amazon Linux, but Ubuntu, Red Hat, Suze, Fedora, all sorts of, um, you know, Coreto for, for Java people. So you can run a lot of things in there, uh, and that allow you to really kind of save money uh, and having better performance with uh, cheaper PU. So that, that's good. Yeah, it's definitely good. And then... Yeah, there was a G4 as well, G4D, bare metal instance, uh, with, yeah, eight NVDI GPUs, that's massive. G4DN, even? They're going to have to um, revisit their naming at some point, aren't they? It's just getting, it's getting completely unruly. G4DN, I mean, I don't know, it's, it's... It's getting very complicated. Yes, I agree. Yeah, it was hard enough for the exams to always remember what all the prefix letters stand for. Now you have to remember the suffixes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Crazy. Uh, Another very cool in the networking, and I was very excited with that because that's a big problem for our customer, is to uh, allow having prefix list in the VPC. And so you can now create uh, a prefix list. So all the IP address from your domain controller, for example, or for your on-prem range, you can put them into a, a list that can be shared in different security groups. So um, that will remove a lot of errors, I think, from customer just allowing zero zero to the world. Uh, to connect to the machine because they don't know the range of on-prem. And not only that, you can share them as well with RAM, the resource access manager across accounts. So you can have that centralized prefix list for all your environment and share that to different accounts and people can consume them uh, in the security group. So I-, I tested it. It's very quick. You can create a list and add a couple of IPs. They, they help you doing that range of IP if you need a slash you know, 24 slash 32 or something like that, that that's pretty good. And that still count towards your uh, security group 
limits. So in the secure loop, you can have 60 inbound and 60 outbound for IPv4 and the same for IPv6. If you have 60 of them into your uh, profit clicks, that will count. So you won't be able to expand your security group. But, uh, so you can have a mix and match. But I think that will really enhance the security and that simplify as well the creation of security groups. Instead of having multiple lines for multiple IPs, then you can have a profit list instead. So that's, that's good. Yeah, that's definitely something that sounds very useful. I'm sure we've all dealt with situations where, let's just say, on-prem or VPN connection that needs to go through the outside for reasons. And this makes it a lot easier. Yeah, or domain controllers, for example, you want to share the domain controller across accounts, across VPCs, across, through transit getaway, then you can have a prefix list with all your domain controllers in there. And, you know, your developers can consume that prefix list quite easily and they don't have to think about it instead of having to remember which IP is what. So, yeah, that's good. Especially if you can then manage it from, say, a security account. Yeah. So one of the limitations, though, if, if you define 10 IP lists in that prefix list, you can't have more than 10. You need to destroy it and start it again. You can't add another one later. So that that's interesting that you at creation time you define the number of IP you're going to have in there, and then that's it. Uh, you can't change it. So that 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 for security reason, I guess that makes sense. I know it's a wild question, but I don't suppose it has cloud formation support yet. Oh, I didn't check that. I'm sorry. I don't know the, the answer on this. I would say no, knowing by showing <laughs> the product, but uh, no, I don't know. What about um, the instance refresh? We haven't mentioned that. That's kind of neat. That that removes a problem that a problem that um, people had to sort of code around. Um, so now you can just basically update your scaling group to use a new launch template or launch configuration with a different AMI in it, and then you can tell it to uh, do a, a basically a swap over of the old instances for new ones from the new uh, AMI, and yeah, rather than having to kind of expand your group and then shrink it back down again and get all your old ones to be killed off by by that process, and you can specify an instance warm up time and a minimum healthy percentage when you do this, so they kind of override the warm up time that you might have had configured for your old instances. So that gives you a way of basically saying well, these new instances need a different warm-up time than the old one. And the minimum health percentage will t- basically say, so if you've got 10 instances, the default's 90% min healthy percentage. So if in that scenario, it will basically swap one. Uh, it'll it'll kill off one instance and recreate it at a time so that you've always got nine, nine healthy instances um, in your pool. And obviously you can set that to whatever you want. So you can say 0% for min healthy instances, in which case it'll just go and blow them all away and, and, um, and replace them all. So that's kind of it. That's they've added some sort of neat functionality there, I think, to, to solving a problem that, you know, is pretty, pretty widely managed in other kind of more clunky ways, which I think is a good thing. Especially for EKS clusters and stuff like that, right? You will be able to uh, be much more granular on the way you change your instances and pods. And that's generally available in all commercial regions. That's good. We we got it. Yep. And um and and you 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 mocked me for being slightly interested in .NET Core on Linux for Elastic Beanstalk. Are you? Yes. <laughs> but see 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 for me, I just see that that anything that anything that helps people get off off Windows Server uh, is a, is a good thing. So so I'm I'm happy anything like that that makes it easier, it like lowers the barriers to entry to getting getting people into um, uh, I guess uh, AWS in 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 a in a better way. That seems like a good thing to me. So I'm all for it. I, it's hard to argue with that. So I'm not even going to try. <laughs> good on you. 
Shall we go for security items now? Yep. yep. It's not as, not as much there as last one. Yeah, one that I quite like is that AWS Backup now also supports Aurora Snapshot, where before there was a big gap. If you wanted to use AWS Backup as your central backup tool, you couldn't backup all of your databases if you were using Aurora instead of RDS. So it's good to see that included. Yep, and the other announcement that relates to that too, of course, is the um, cross-account management and monitoring of AWS Backup. Yeah, that's definitely a nice one that you can now, from a central account, read your organization master account, that you can configure your backup configuration there instead of having to do it in each account separately. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. Um, a, a big one as well for me is config support for nine new managed rules. Some rules you had to, uh, you know, design your own uh, rules before and uh, and on Lambda functions. So you can have now testing with AWS config if your SNS is encrypted, if you have security hub enabled, um, if you use uh, S3 encryption with KMS, if you have RDS snapshot encrypted and EBS encryption by default as well. So a couple of new rules uh, to simplify the life of people and then um, to make sure that the accounts are compliant. So always good to see. Um, and then the next one for uh, security was service catalog now support sharing portfolio across an organization from a dedicated member account. So that was a big problem for me when uh, Control Tower suddenly decided to put, uh, you know, service catalog into the master account and billing account to be able to create then new accounts. So I think that's a preparation for Control Tower to fix that problem um, because obviously in master account, you shouldn't run anything, just billing and having a, now a dedicated account. And it seems that they're doing that for a lot of services now. Uh, there was um, so, so service catalog now. There is um, as well guard duty. Guard duty. There is firewall manager as well. Macy. Yeah, all of that. Systems manager. You, you can have uh, yeah dedicated account to to have the proper separation of function between your account uh, and having that to run independently from your master. So that's good. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a, a really strong model, and uh, especially also for service catalog where you, you're going to want to I guess uh, c- come up with. Uh, specific product portfolios that are relevant only to a subset of your people anyway. So you kind of want to be able to say that account over there has control over these products and this other account has control over those products because otherwise, you know, you're not really separating the concerns quite as well as you might. Yeah. And I'll remind everyone, the master account cannot have service control policies. So this account basically is open to any change from a, you know, administrator point of view. Uh, so it's, it's much better to isolate everything out into uh, child accounts where you can apply policies and or use and, and all sort of uh, control. Yep. It's a good thing, TM. AWS Shield Advance now support proactive response events. So the team basically from Shield Advance, which is an AWS team working in the background monitoring your your environment uh, for DDoS attack, can now proactively engage you as soon as there is some attack on RAF 53 or on order of your IP. So that's interesting. That falls into the category for me of wasn't it always like that? I thought that was the whole point of Shield Advance was that it was proactive. Did you have to actually ask them to go and to go and f- de- de- deal with something? Like I'm paying you three thousand dollars a month, uh, uh, but that, you know something happens, I have to ring you up and say, "Can you please deal with that?" Is that how it really worked? Um, 
as far as I understand, yes, now it's automated and um, you have the DDoS response team now allocated to you automatically. Yeah. Okay. Oh, well, that's a good thing then, yes. Um, the, the other thing that I know uh, some people got excited about was the uh, certificate manager automation of certificate issuance. So that was something that previously required some manual intervention. Now you can use CloudFormation to basically manage the whole process of creating the relevant CNAME records to do DNS-based authorization for your um, ACM certificate generation issuance. So that, does that work for everything? Because you, you used to have to create a manual RAT53 record in there to be able to do the validation. So, you know, or is it is it working for domain validation or? Yeah, it's for it's for domain it's for DNS based val- validation. So the CNAME records. So you have to be using RAT53, I believe. Yeah. So it's not going to work. Obviously, it can't go and create automatically create records in your um, Cloudflare or GoDaddy. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it does require you to be using Route 53, but yeah, it'll automatically create those records as part of the process. So it automates that. It could already do that for you through the console. So being able to do it through CloudFormation is definitely a good thing. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. You had to click. You had to click the button, but yeah, to to have CloudFormation click the button for you effectively sounds like a very good idea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the transfer family enables source IP as a factor of authorization. I'm sure that some customer are going to love that. Uh, transfer family obviously is SFTP and FTP. And then uh, you can use source IP as a validation on top of the normal validation with a certificate or, or login. So that's, that's good. That another level of security there to authenticate for very old product. Yep, it gives you extra validation on your unencrypted data transfers. <laughs> Yay. But we had a couple of big announcements on the Devon upside. First one that came out was Code Artifact, which is an as the name implies, an artifact repository for your code, similar to sources like Artifactory, JFrog. Uh, Nexus, probably as a developer who uses packages, you're familiar with one or two of them. Yeah. And now that's all built into your AWS console. Yeah, it's it's, it's neat because it'll do uh, Maven packages, npm and Python, all in the one all in the one uh, repository. So that's kind of neat, and it'll fetch and pre-cache, I guess, anything that you're using in your application that you need as a, a dependency. And the other nice thing about it is. I think the um, it provides some sort of level of uh, governance, I guess, where you know there's a sort of a rather than sort of just calling out and going off to all the public repos and pulling stuff down. There's a there's a central place that all all of the dependencies can kind of be um, managed and and I guess approved. So that's kind of neat, I think, too. And you can encrypt it with KMS uh, customer managed keys, which is really good for security, obviously. And uh, for you out in CloudFormation support is coming soon. <laughs> that, that's what the, the announcement says. So I'm, I'm not sure when, but soon. But uh, guys, I mean, is it as good as Artifactory or still missing a lot of functionality as usual from the AWS point of view? before the project matures and become, you know, as good as an open source product? There are still some features missing. Okay. I haven't dived into it too deeply, but from what I can see, um, it doesn't have everything that a organization might want in the artifact storage. But on the other hand, it seems like a pretty decent start. Okay. And if they keep building on it, then... Yeah, because it's really a pain to build this, uh, you know, um, artifactory product in the cloud or on-prem or move them or sync them. So that would be good to have the managed services for that. That's good. Yeah. 
So the other new product announcement is Amazon Honeycode. Oh yeah. So um, this is build your own Excel uh, access sheets in the cloud. I was personally not very impressed by what I could see of the service, but I may have missed something. Yeah, I think it's probably one of those things where maybe if that's if that's if that's the kind of thing you need to do, you may well look at that and go, "Wow, that's that's great." I think the the obvious kind of first gap that I noticed was it doesn't it doesn't seem to be integrated with anything. Um, so I kind of expected that it would be you know there'd be some integration point with some other service that that would be obvious. Um, and it doesn't seem to really have any of those. Yeah, and and I guess yeah when it, when I sort of heard the description of it, I thought, oh yeah, that sounds that sounds exciting for some. Yeah, I think I think low code no code tooling is is you know has a bright future but yeah i'd looked at it and thought mm, yeah i don't know it doesn't doesn't sort of speak to me but you know maybe if your your work a day life is full of spreadsheets and um you know you're currently an excel whiz that that spends all their time sort of emailing new copies of spreadsheets off to people to get them to fill things in maybe this is going to be a game changer for you i don't know yeah i really feel like this is a service we need to see evolve yeah and then it might turn into something more interesting because from what i can see you, yeah she said there's no native integration you need to run something to push data in there it doesn't just pull it so the data gets stale yeah 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 that which which to me just seemed like why does that what why why does this even exist for, for, if that's the way it's going to work it doesn't it like the, the lack of integration points just seemed very just a, a jarring kind of thing but look you know maybe it's just a you know they throw it out there get you know get some feedback and i mean this is the way aws tends to work isn't it so just chuck something out there and get some feedback and see what what people say about it and then iterate perhaps would you like to see rds integration or dynamo db integration what, what do you think would make sense dynamo probably I was I was expecting at least one of those. Yeah, I was expecting something. Yeah, I mean, given that it's well, I mean, it could have been either. But yes, I, I figured that Dynamo would probably be where they'd start. But um, but yeah, it doesn't even seem to be like there's a stub there that looks like it's about to be connected to anything. But it, it supports mobile application, right? I mean, for I'm a non-developer, right? Being infrastructure all my life, learn to code to move to cloud probably five six years ago. So I'm not a good developer I'm, I'm slow uh, but for me that that's exciting um, that's I think the future probably of non-code like you said um, and um, yeah you know be able to deploy an application quite quickly for your company with a couple of clicks when it will be more integrated with with devices and, and, and database I think that that could be interesting yeah I think I think I was kind of thinking it was going to be something like a more more of a flow based programming tool um, like the way it's it's sort of oriented around the spread the spreadsheet sort of concept is the heart of it and to me that just seemed like it was kind of making life making making life harder than it perhaps needed to be but but then as I say look it may be that you know the the target market they have in mind for that is very comfortable with the idea of um, uh, of working in that spreadsheet model um, it's just you know not doesn't speak to me particularly because I try and avoid spreadsheets as much as I can. Yeah, right. um, now the, the really big announcement though, which I'm sure everyone's got an opinion on is the emoji reactions to comments in code commit. <laughs> Thumbs up emoji. Yeah. Well, eggplant, um, you know, are we going, am I going too far? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a little. <laughs> 
Well, you can just give 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 me the poop emoji. <laughs> <laughs> Another one is uh, Code Pipeline support now AWS App Config uh, as your new deploy action type. That that's good. I mean, you can you know continue your deployment after your environment is done and keep applying configuration instead of calling all the product like Ansible or other things. So um, I think App Config has a good place there to to uh, configure um, application and now integrate it with Code Pipeline so you can have end to end. Yeah, I thought I thought that was a nice announcement too. And uh, it is in Sydney as well. Yeah, the other thing from this list that I'm personally interested in, and we've mentioned uh, CloudFormation a couple of times, is the CloudFormation God project, which allows you to run compliance checks against your CloudFormation t- uh, templates. I haven't played around with it enough yet, and the syntax seems a bit well interesting <laughs> yeah but it's definitely something i can see getting used in your csd pipelines to hey do we not accidentally allow somebody to open up um, ports of or s3 star or something you know silly that um, sometimes developers just do for testing and then end up and ending up in production with you know s3 bucket open to the world but you know it's, it's funny because CFN NAG has been around in the open source quite a long time and that, that's a consulting firm in the US who did that. Um, and even AWS is using it. If you look at a couple of the templates they've been releasing in Quick Start and stuff, they use CFN NAG quite a lot. And now they develop a product on their own to do exactly the same thing, uh, to, to, to monitor that compliance. So that's interesting. Um, so maybe CFN NAG uh, was not powerful enough or something. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what the difference is either. Um, and so it can be a good thing that AWS comes out with its own version or it can basically then stop all future development because everybody figures let's use the officially yeah. endorsed version. Yeah, CFN Guard, I think, I think this is very exciting. I mean, every security you can put in your pipeline before you deploy infrastructure is a good thing. So, um, yeah, and that's really a requirement even for, for banks, with APRA, with other, you need to prove that not only you have control in your environment, but then you keep this control permanent and every day. And so your release pipeline, you can prove that as well. So that's good. Shall we have a look at the databases now? Sounds good. A pretty interesting one to me is the Aurora Global Databases read replica write forwarding. So I don't have a current use case for it, seeing most of the things I work with are just in the Sydney region. But I find it pretty nice that with your global databases that you can have write actions to those read replicas and they eventually end up in your master database. Absolutely, that's nifty. And um, yeah, so you don't have to have different endpoints for reading and writing and um, it just handles it under the under the covers for you. Yeah, and so you, you mentioned the eventually. So, and I think it's got some options there around uh, how that's handled as well. I'm just trying to remember i've got a note here that's got session global or eventual eventual before write yeah so it is what what you'd, you'd think the eventual will do um so it basically lets you do your write and it returns and the the sync will be eventual to the secondary um with session it's going to give you your current the, the session that you've made the write on will continue to re, it will it will give you read consistency of that right and then global is it's the commit will happen on the secondary before it completes the the right so essentially the the right the right won't be complete so and 
don't forget, it's across region, right? So that's, you can have some serious millisecond there of latency. That's right. So obviously the trade-off is the speed at which your your uh, action will complete, your write will complete. It's going to requ- complete a lot quicker with eventual than with global. Yeah. Um, another one I like, I mean, it's, it's in database, which is, you know, it's still storage, um, is uh, the ability of FSX uh, Windows File Server to grow storage and to scale as well uh, the different and adjust throughput uh, of your capacity. So FSX in the past, you have to create a big FSX, big storage, and then if you wanted to change that size or change the type of drive, you had to destroy it and start again. Now you can dynamically increase that storage, so you save a lot of uh, money. And then um, for throughput capacity as well, uh, you can change that for a couple of days if you wanted to have more throughput on your instance. So I've got customers in the education industry who, you know, um, work a very cyclical time and that will be very good for them. They, they will save a lot of money having that, that new capabilities to be able to scale just for the time of the exams and the test and then decrease that capacity by keeping the data longer term. So it's good. Maybe let's just move on to AIML for your time to shine guy. <sighs> the Deep Composer's Chartbusters Challenge. Decomposer. Yeah, yeah. Look, um, but I mean, the, the problem there is that I don't have a, uh, a Deep Composer. And if I did, I'd definitely, definitely be um, looking to top the charts there. So, um, you know, maybe you'll have to give me a primer sometime, Ian, and uh, let me borrow your uh, Amazon-branded keyboard. Uh, this is your, your chance. There is, a, there is a contest named Back to the Future with a Dick Composer Chartbuster Challenge. And you can join uh, between, uh, actually now, 23rd of June to uh, the 7th of July, uh, 15th of July, sorry. And you can buy your keyboard for $79. And you have a three-month free trial at the same time with Decomposer. That's your chance to join and do uh, Sebastian Bach music. What a terrible shame that I don't have $79. What a terrible, terrible shame. Well, luckily, Guy, you can always just use the on-screen keyboard. (laughs) I'm sure you love just clicking. It, it, It maps to your actual, you know, typing keyboard. Right, right. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll bear that in mind. Um, so is there anything here that I thought the, um, Kendra integration with Lex was kind of nice. It's a, there's a search intent. So basically, um, previously you'd need to write some code to, to have Lex interact with Kendra, whereas now it's got a native, um, search intent so that you, you can write or you can query that Kendra interface with a using the search intent instead. So you basically it's a piece of code you don't have to write to to join those two things up. I've explained it really well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if I understand correctly, yeah, what it means is that basically you can now very easily build something that you talk to it and it will find for you what you're looking for. That's right. Yeah which is easy. It's, everything should be easy. That's that's the world we want. Definitely. There is an announcement for um, Amazon Personalize as well. So our 
remind everyone that's machine learning technology that Amazon has been using for a long time, selling books. That's uh, kind of personalized recommendation on, on your products. Uh, books, video, and stuff like that. So now you can, you know, use filters and create your own filters to uh, filter the personalized recommendation uh, in in your car, and um, that that allow you know to don't show again the product who have been already purchased, for example, or some some other things. So that's I think that's a good um, implementation of, of filters, and then do good addition to the product uh, as personalized, and that's available in Sydney as well. Even better. So I really like it. So, shall we do a roundup of all the other cool stuff? Yes, let's see what I've got. Let's start with the big or small new entry to the Snowball, or should it be called Snow Star family now? Snow Cone, yeah. Yeah, they, they, they definitely um, they definitely uh, picked, a, picked an excellent name this time. AWS often doesn't have awesome names for things and their na- their naming schemes are very uh, patchy. So like some- sometimes they'll really hit it out of the park and other times you just go, oh my God, why did you call it that? But Snow Cone, I think everyone everyone immediately wants a Snow Cone just because of the name. Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. So can, can you remind us what the usage of Snow stuff in, in AWS? Snow Star. <laughs> yeah. To transfer stuff, right? So it's it's a small device. It's like a A4 page fold in half. So it's not very big. It's like 25 centimeters by 15 by 8. Two kilos, uh, which is quite light. You can ship it around. It's 8 terabyte. You can have a 1 gig port, 10 gig port, some Wi-Fi on it. And you can power it with batteries. And apparently you can even run it on the, on the drone and to be able to film stuff or compute stuff with AI. So I think that, that that's very good usage. I mean, we, I've got some customers in the energy sector who, who, who monitor uh, the vegetation growth on the poles to kind of predict if um, vegetation need to be cut to don't damage electricity providers. So that that could be a very good, you know, Two CPU, four gig memory um, stuff. We can, you know, do AI, and having some enough storage should be able to do that on the fly on the drone. So that, I think that that's pretty cool product, but only available in the US and Oregon. Yeah, it strikes me as you you'd need a pretty big drone to strap a two gig a two kilogram um, snow cone onto it, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's that's not small. I'm I'm sort of thinking maybe you might go Raspberry Pi first and uh, and leave the snow cone. Uh, for for some other um, application, but I guess it depends on your drone. Like if you've got some awesomely awesomely powerful drone uh, that can do that, like those Amazon delivery. Oh yes, yes, yes. And you can transfer data to S3, EFS, or FSX as well. And there is a data sync uh, product as well, pre-installed in it. So that that's pretty good. Yeah, and this is an edge. It's like it's a snowball edge. It's it's got you can run lambdas on it and so, and such as well, I believe. So yeah. Yeah, it's correct. Yeah. There's two CPU and four gig, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's pretty cute. Um and I think everybody wants one. So they probably don't come in yellow. <laughs> you can always just paint them yourself. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. Um what else have we got? Real time anomaly detection in uh Elasticsearch. That that looks like a pretty cool feature, I think. You basically using machine learning to to detect anomalies in your your data that's going into Elasticsearch your Elasticsearch cluster which I think that's that's kind of a feature that's that um I'm just trying to think whether Elastic themselves has that feature is that something where they're playing catch up 
I'm honestly not sure. I haven't paid too much attention to Elasticsearch lately. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway, that's kind of a nice feature. And then Amazon SES can now send notification when delivery of email is delayed. Uh, before it was just bounced. Um, but now you can tell if the email is delayed so that uh, stop people retrying send the email again and again until the server on the other side is uh, available again to receive email. That's, I think it's good. And uh, Amazon Route 53, I'm saying the networking stuff uh, because I love that. Um, <laughs> uh, private host, host, hosted zone now have an API that you can query your VPC because, you know, more and more people are sharing private zone between VPC, between multiple accounts uh, to simplify the DNS with, you know, um, inbound resolver and outbound resolvers. So that will help a lot to query first the VPC, understand which private zone are there instead of doing it through the console or through uh, manual CLI. So that, that's going to be interesting. That's a good help for automation. Oh, you've got, you've got a note there about the high quality natural sounding text-to-speech voices, but there was an announcement too about a child voice. Did you see that one? That was kind of creepy. Uh, I saw something about it. I didn't include it. Yeah, yeah. I can include it if you want to talk about it. No, no, I was just going to say it sounds creepy. That's all. <laughs> I just, I just, I just think of all the voices that we have and think to, I'm just wondering what the use case for it is. I guess, I guess it's fair enough that maybe some use case you need, like if you want to read a story or something, I don't know. What would the use case of a child voice be? For a kid service? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So like a kid's helpline or something, maybe, you, maybe they want a, speak to a kid i don't know i don't know it just sounds a bit it just seems a bit weird to me you wouldn't necessarily want kids to think that they were talking to a real kid whereas human humans <laughs> so yes kids are humans sorry um <laughs> i've I've got three of them i'm allowed to make i'm allowed to say things like that um adults are you know you can kind of expect them to discern when something's a, a, a computer voice or not, but I just wonder whether kids would be as good at, at figuring that out. Yeah, so I was just, I don't know what the use case for it is. Okay, and that's all we have to say about the news for this month. So, Guy JM, once again, thank you for discussing this with me. Pleasure. My pleasure, yeah. And as always, I want to thank the user group sponsors, our gold sponsor, Enabler, and our silver sponsors, AC3, CMD, and now as well, Do It International. And of course, thank you everybody for listening, and hopefully we'll see you again next month. Bye, everyone. Good night.